Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for January 23rd of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And in this edition of the podcast, we will talk a little bit more about Jonathan Druin. Since the last time we talked about his initial trade request, he has since uh, taken himself out of the AHL lineup. We'll talk about, you know, a lot of things that have been said about that move that he's made, both positive and negative. We'll talk a little bit about the NHL All-Star game. Uh, not like all John, John Scott, Scott, but Don't, there's some other that things that you can talk about with that. Um, and then uh, whatever the hell else we feel like talking about after that's <laughs> over with. So um, start with Druin. I actually saw him play last Monday in Rochester. Uh, that may have been his last... AHL game, I think. You saw him before he retired from the AHL. Yeah, and he was really good. Um, I thought that the AHL product was very boring and um, not very interesting. I thought it was that particular game was very blah. It was very structured, very systems-based, a lot of dumping in, a lot of 1-2-2, 4-check kind of stuff. And the few times that I was like really intrigued were... You know, going into the game, I didn't know in the morning that they were playing the Syracuse Crunch because it was a teacher appreciation day free ticket kind of thing. So I wasn't really paying attention to the details. But then, like I heard on the radio, Syracuse Crunch, I'm like, oh, wait, this this is ideal. This is almost the perfect matchup for, for what I want out of an AHL game. And he was really good. He was the best player on the ice for either team. He was creating... Um, Excellent with the puck, obviously. Uh, very good uh, skating and creating time and space for himself. He fed a ton of Syracuse Crunch guys in the slot that didn't score. So when I hear he only has two points in six games, I watched a whole game where he's putting pucks on a platter. So it's not like he wasn't creating. And there was another play. He led the rush down the ice and tried to go short side glove in close. And for whatever reason, I think the, one of the Crunch defensemen got caught pinched down low and it created a two-on-one the other way. Well, the guy that led the rush was the guy that broke up the two-on-one on the pass across. Druin busted his butt all the way back goal line to almost goal line to make the play. So he was playing. So just from an on-ice kind of half-ass scouting report I can provide you, I thought he was really good. That was probably going to be my smart-ass question. Did he play well away from the puck? Because if you have a look at it, – it's funny. Like, you, you and I sort of treat things a little bit differently. I do my best to try and listen to people that I don't agree with, basically to try and understand what the hell they think, right? Everything I hear about Druin being selfish, he's a young guy, he should just bide his time, all that sort of garbage, Right are the people that are saying, oh, he can't play away from the puck. He needs to improve his play away from the puck. Well, if you've gone down to the AHL and you've been told you need to get yourself game fit and ready for the NHL, which is apparently what the Lightning have done in regards to dropping him down to the AHL, if you're telling me he's the guy that led the rush and he's the guy that comes back and breaks up the the two-on-one, basically, because his defenseman pinched and got caught out, I don't know what else you can ask of a guy that was a number three pick in his draft year who 
legitimately feels like he's been shafted by the NHL team that he plays for because he doesn't feel like he's been given opportunity. I don't know what else these old school knobheads are, are, are wanting from a kid. His offensive talent is there. That's not the question. The question that the Tampa Bay Lightning are asking is, will you do the other stuff away from the puck? And it looks like he will. There's room for improvement on strength, even though he won a few, he did win a few corner battles in the defensive zone. Um, I think that when you watch a, a hockey game and you're s- singling out a specific player, did you do that? I did when he was on the ice. Yeah, okay. What else am I going to yeah. watch? Um, you have to. Well, yes, and that's where the one-two-two played into my assessment. Mm. If he wasn't F1, you're kind of playing a very passive role, so you're watching yeah. a guy kind of coast along, fill lanes, and people are like, well, he's, his motor's not going well. No shit. They're playing a one-two-two, and he's not. It's, if you're it, not F1, you can't run, can you? It's, that's it's basically, a mild yeah. trap when they were running it, and the Amherst defenseman had full possession. F1 wasn't even really getting after it that hard. Uh, but the times that he was F1, the times that F1 got in in time. He bolted to where he needed to go. Uh, but it, you single out a player like that, you can pick out errors because nobody's perfect, not even the best, when, when you're doing that kind of analysis where you're just staring at a player during his 45-second shift. It, so if you're, if you're a scout watching that game, which is exactly what you're doing, right, how do you assess that? How do you, how do you make that delineation between well, every player is going to make that mistake too. He's lazy. He doesn't care. He feels like he's entitled. Like That's what this trade falls on, is scouts yeah, watching him and going, and they can't even do that now, is watching him and going, yeah, he's got it all there. He's just not got the opportunity. Or, no, nah, he's entitled and he's going to be a bust. Like, how do you, how do you delineate that line? Well, you have to kind of know the game a little bit, and I think, Scouts do, obviously. That's that's why they do what they do. I agree with that. Yeah, no um, problems there. So you have to kind of know and understand what the forecheck is, what his specific role is being asked to do without being in the locker room. So it's a little bit of guesswork, but hockey's not super complicated. You can pick out what forecheck they're running and that kind of stuff. And is he going to the right spots? Is he getting on the defensive side of the puck? Is he engaging in spots where he is able to engage is he not curling off? And most of all, is he playing to his strengths, which are puck on stick, making plays, making controlled plays, making others better around him offensively? I thought he was doing that, and he was one of the hey. few guys on the ice that was able to do that. So in my little baby sample, I thought he was really good. He looked like an NHL player that would be able to contribute, and I don't think too many people I really don't think too many people would disagree with that assessment. He, he's an NHL player right now. He happens to be on a team that has forward depth, but even, I would argue, he still belongs on that team playing. I know that's not going to happen anymore, but he's still a, one of their better options in the organization, whether or not that bridge has been burned or not. So where does, where, where does Tampa Bay go in this situation? Like, you know, Eisenman's come out and said, oh, we can build a bridge, we can, we can, you know, make this work in Tampa. But, but realistically, where where does this go? Like, He gets Drew traded. Is, That's where it goes. So how, okay, 
does that mean that they get 45 cents back on the dollar? No. He's still a valuable asset. I think a lot of people need to strip away the emotion of all this and remember that professional sports are a business. And this is one of the big problems that I've had with the Jonathan Druin coverage and some of the articles. They're like calling this kid names and what's he proven, this, this, and that. And we all accept the concept that these teams treat players like assets. But the second a player treats himself like an asset, that's some sort of double standard. I, I, I don't get why that's the case. It's business. What's and the... there's two sides to it. And I know RFAs don't have leverage, really. But this is Druin's only leverage. He wants to play and, you know. What's the... You, you did... You did the research on this in regards to collating some information. What's supposed to be the prime age of an NHL player now? It's shifted dramatically down to the early 20s. It hasn't shifted at all. Perception has shifted. It was the same Gretzky-Lemieux to now. So what is it, what is it though? I think 24 is, the, right. is so, historically speaking, a forward's best age. 26, you're, you're so exiting. You, You've got... Is Drew in 19 or 20 now? He's probably early... Oh, maybe he is 20. Okay, so but, he's he he's 20, right? He's literally got four years to get the most points per game or points per season. He'll be 21 season. in March. Yeah, so if, if you get there and go, he wants to get as much out of himself as he possibly can as an athlete, because, you know, you assume that that's what he's in the game for... He's only got four, what, three years left now. And he's sat for so long because he's got issues that Tampa don't like. Can you blame a guy to want to go and find an environment that will play him? Like, I don't I don't understand the vitriol that Druin has copped in amongst all of this. It's that whole old mentality of wait your time, wait your turn until suddenly you're better than a veteran that's been wait. worse than you since the day you turned up at the club. Yeah, and, and your turn needs to come sooner than later, as we know through research now. So Yeah. Now, it's it's just, I don't know. It's a, it, Both sides have been wrong. I think oh, yeah. um, Tampa's wrong for not having played him. They should. He's um, has top-line... They're close to top line offense, and he's a 54% score adjusted Fenwick player for his career. That's really good. Even on a good team, that would help with those numbers. Those are good numbers. And you're getting it on an ELC contract. So I don't know what their hesitation been to play him. Now, Druin did attempt to go about it the right way. Hey, I'm really unhappy here. Um, I, I'd like to be traded. Not a damn person knew about that trade request up until a week ago. Is it only that long ago? It feels... It's, it's no older than two weeks when we found out about it, right? Yeah, it's just... It's just all of this has snowballed badly for both parties so very, very quickly. I mean, you could argue whether it was Druin or Walsh that came out recently. Maybe not do that. And that would be their their slip up, but I'm not going to start calling him names because he plays a sport where he a 
doesn't get to choose who drafts him, and then doesn't have control to get out of that situation until he's 26, 27 years old when he's out of his prime. Um, we talked about this in March, about the NHL draft. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that crazy idea that maybe you just let the, the, the kids coming out of juniors in college and overseas be unrestricted free agents, and the hard cap eventually would, you know, take care of not every – <clears throat> the same teams couldn't bid on these guys every year. You'd have to pick and choose. Correct. That's exactly right. But he didn't get asked to get, get drafted by Tampa. None of these guys do. Oh, oh it's, it's. I don't mean. I don't mean drafted by Tampa specifically. I, the way I worded it. No, I, <laughs> any yeah, team. Like if, if you're Jonathan Druid, like you're not going to be a free agent and go to Tampa because. They're not going to find a spot to put you in. That's that's the reality. Like you can't have a team load up because there's not going to be enough spots. It's because there's a hard cap in this league. I legitimately think that that option would work. And in the end, this false parity that's created by, for me personally, I think poor officiating, um, maps itself out with a better quality product. That on the ice where where you get to see teams play with skill and play with speed. You still see massively big hits, but you don't see just shitty, shitty officiating that, that does it because the, the level of that has to pick up. So I I think that – I mean, I, do you actually ever think that that concept would ever happen or because no, the no. draft is such a big event, they would never have, they would never think about it? No. I, the NHL is never in front on anything. Eliminating a draft would go against every – North American professional sport. Oh, it's just so. It deserves yeah. a conversation, and I don't even think they'll get to that point. Oh, dude, they couldn't even work ahead to the All Star. I mean, properly. that tanking stuff is pitiful, but I don't blame the teams. No, I. You, you, hey, you you play to the system you're given. Simple as that. Um. So I guess the the last thing about Jeruin is um. You know, a lot of criticism. Oh, Steve Eisenman should just stick it to him and not trade him and and show him, teach him a lesson. And it's like, well, how does that help the Lightning? Who are his? That's his responsibility and is making the Lightning better. It's it's in the best interest of both parties to get this done sooner than later. Uh, Tampa needs assets back for a player they're clearly no longer going to be able to use. They are playing better as of late. They started the season poorly, but I think most people would still consider them one of the best teams in the East and a potential uh, cup finalist threat. So hey, they need pieces they back. Can, if, if they can turn him around into a workable asset for the team now, um, that Tampa Bay team can be very, very dangerous. Um, or even the future to place their cap where it needs yeah. to be. Look, I just I don't know... It's it's really weird in Tampa because like they've got you know big decisions to make in a couple of big areas and this is one of them and I don't know whether they handled the the St Louis one as well as they could because it almost felt like they they had to sign Callahan to that deal yeah. otherwise they basically let St Louis walk and I think that was well no they got good draft picks out of that they could have let Callahan just go 
They should have. And that's probably the thing for me. It almost felt like they, they had to have an active roster player in return for St. Louis because of who he was and what he meant to the organization, the community, all that sort of stuff. So it's well, it's really, really hard to get that right. It remains to be seen what happens with Jeroen and Stamkos. But Steve Eiserman has kind of dealt with three main lightning chips in kind of not smooth way. So the, the, the most famous player of their past, St. Louis, the Olympic stuff and, and trading him away. And, and then ultimately, to your point, bringing in um, Ryan Callahan, who is their worst contract by far now. The current player of the franchise, Steven Stamkos, that should have they should have offered him a monster contract, their best offer over the summer, and and kind of been done with it, then let it drag. You know what I mean? That would kind what? of be my approach to it. And now their most prized future asset isn't going to be playing for them anymore, and um, you know. What if, if you'd have got okay? I'm gonna try and word this properly. You, you're the Tampa Bay fans, right? And you've got no idea what's going to happen with Stamkos. If your general manager comes out at the end of the season last year and goes, "We offered Stamkos the max contract, right? We've given it out there. It's up to Stephen if he wants to stay in Tampa or wants to go, right?" And Stan Coast decides that he doesn't want to sign it. That gives the Tampa Bay Lightning all the leverage in the world to get there at the trade deadline this year and move him if Stan Coast will allow it because the guy that signed Stan Coast's previous contract gave him an, an, a full NTC. So the fact that they didn't do what you suggested, which was just throw everything at him, it at least means all he does is reject it, and then you can say as a club, well, he rejected the whole city of Tampa. Wow. I, know what I, mean? I, w- I wouldn't personally <laughs> word it That's that how- way or present it that way, but yeah, I club, suppose. Though, as, as a club, though, you have to. I, don't want, want- I wouldn't slander him like that. It's business. He, he didn't like our best offer. That was the best we could make that made sense for our cap, and... Um, it's business, and we'll move on accordingly. I wouldn't slander him and say he's against the city of Tampa. I don't think you that's the from, case. You, I know what you you're saying. From, I'm saying I wouldn't go that route. Well, I, was, I just, I just, think, I just, I cannot see how Tampa can come out of this in the positive. Well, it all at depends all. on. I can't see. I can't see the assets they get back will balance out what Stamkos offers. That's all. Here's the thing about Stamkos. He's going to command top dollar. I'm not so sure that you're going to get value out of him like you do a Kopitar for the long term. Fair argument there, too. I get what you mean. I watch Stamkos, and he's great, but it's a lot of... um, I don't know. I don't see him skating, dangling, creating time and space kind of guy and, and defensive shutdown center kind of guy. Hell, they're playing him on the wing at times. At I times. think out of those $10 million players, I'd rank him lower than most of them. And I know the goals could, are there. 
he could be the lowest ranked of all of those ten million dollar guys. That doesn't mean that he's he's going to get bad. ten mil. So that's why. Yeah. And I'm not so sure that trading him isn't the wrong move or right move. No, you, you've you've no, you, you've not been bullish, but you've definitely said that's certainly not a stupid idea. Here's the deal, though. I said that when Druin was going to be playing. Yeah, good point, actually. They can the Tampa thing, as we've said all year, is really fascinating. It they could do well with both of these potential trades and be fine for it. They could both yep. blow up. One could be good. One could be bad. But these are really big franchise-changing moves. So, you know, we'll have to see. I, it's, it's one of those things where how these... If, if, one, if one goes well and one goes poorly, they probably wash. If both go well, Steve Eisenman will, will be a genius. If both go poorly, he'll be out of a job. I think That's messing probably... up the Druin ones more would kill them more because you have who I believe is a very good top six talent on a cheap contract. So that's really a lot of value. Oh, very, yeah. Where 10 mil of a cap hit, and he'll get 35, 40 goals for now, but you're going to be locked in for eight more years of it. I That's going to be tough. Yeah. So I think they got to get the Druin one oh, right. correct. Because at worst, Stamkos frees up 10 million in cap space. So even if their return, let's in, in this hypothetical say Stamkos just left like they didn't trade him at the deadline and just left at least hypothetically they would have a lot of money to kind of correct that mistake Yep Whereas the other one if you screwed the Druin thing up you just left um, a pretty solid player will be a solid player in my estimation go Andy was cheap, so how do you replace that? I don't think that's that's really tough to do. No, I can't argue with any of that at all. I, yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. So I think um, I think it'll be traded by the deadline. It may, it's the best for both parties, and um, I don't understand some of the name calling on Druin. It's a business, and uh, both sides have leverage, and both sides try to play the leverage that they have. Um, you know, I don't expect fans to to buy into the business part of it, but that's that's what this is now. I think you, I, I don't think you don't understand. I think you understand. You just don't agree with the vitriol that's been listed against him. I think we both understand where it comes from. I just think neither of us agree that it's it's warranted, to be honest. <clears throat> so we'll see. Um, moving on to the All Star Game, John Scott obviously is the kind of polarizing figure of this event because of the, the the fan vote that got him in, the CD trade that put him to the AHL out in eastern Canada, and, you know, just all of that stuff. And then just the All-Star game itself, is it necessary? Do people care? Uh, people arguing over this, the John Scott thing. It's ruining the integrity of a game that has no integrity. This <laughs> is a funny one to me. Um, I'll tell you what the all-star game is for me. And I don't even know. Is it next week? I don't even know when it is. Unfortunately, it's next weekend. Is it? Okay. So here's what it is to me. 
it's background noise on my TV as my kids play around in the the house. It, it's it's on the TV in the background. And you know what? That's perfect for what I need it to be. Don't care about the score. Don't care about none of it. I like watching the skill stuff the night before. <clears throat> it's something to watch. It's background noise. I don't have a problem with any of it. The thing with the All-Star game is if you miss a goal, it's okay because you'll see another one in about four minutes. And I do like the idea of three-on-three. Three. Yeah, it should it, that that should be a nice change. I, th- I think the biggest thing for me with the just the entire kerfuffle is I think it really shows that it probably highlights the difference between the establishment and what the fans like. To be honest, you get there as a fan and you've got a chance to vote for whomever you like. It just so happens that this year the fans jumped on the bandwagon of a of a guy that's known more for what he does with his fists than he does with a stick. It was a snarky joke, but it, I'm not going to sleep it, over it. Whatever. No, no I'm not going to lose sleep over it. And I'm, my attitude towards the All Star, I'm not even going to bother watching the All Star game. There's, there's no point. There's no point for me in regards to the time of the day and all those sorts of things to, to, to warrant watching it. So well, you're in a yeah, you're in a different uh, yeah, no, no, I, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you get up at two o'clock in the morning to watch a, a one, a, a, you know, a one in the afternoon playoff game. Yeah. You don't do that for an all star game. It's, no, I don't blame you for that. Yeah, that's 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 kind of the, the the reality of it. And for all of those people that are whining and moaning about the integrity of the game. As you said, there's no integrity in this game. This game is, is basically go to the game, do what the fans want, and do not get injured. That's the problem. There are players in this in this game that are vital to their team's playoff chances, and all you hope for all of those players and all of those teams, yes, even the Philadelphia Flyers, you just don't want them to get injured. You just don't want that to happen because well, you don't. There's a valid that... point to do away with the game for that reason. Am I am I right in saying that the uh, the Major League Baseball All Star Game decides who gets home? Yes, which is terrible. And it is, I, but I, they do I... play the one sport where you could. It's the closest to the real product you can get. Yeah. So. That would be the only time I could conceivably see the NHL players caring. You know what I mean? Hmm. But don't do that. It would be don't do it that. would be ludicrous for them to change it, um, and I, I'm glad that they're not going to. But yeah, don't don't try and say that there's integrity in this game. There's not. This game has now turned into three on three to show you a level of with integrity. celebrity coaches on the bench who nobody's ever heard of. No. Who are the celebrities? I've actually seen they're being named, but I've no idea whom they are. I know one's is Charlie Kelly, but only because I I remember the name because of the character on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> Happens to Always Sunny where? In Philadelphia. You Aussies won't know about that show. No, you know, I know about a few things, but not that one. It's a good show. <laughs> I guess the kind of common description of the show is it's uh, Seinfeld on crack. 
I probably should find this show and have a look. I quite like Seinfeld, so if it's Seinfeld on crack... It's a show about nothing but with batshit crazy characters. (laughs) It's great. So worse than Kramer. Okay, this is going to be all right. Oh, Danny DeVito plays a way crazier, if you want to call it, Kramer. (laughs) Fuck, that's all right, then. The characters do not align in Seinfeld. Just the idea of that there's really no set... um, story week to week uh but they it's it's great <laughs> but yeah that's good the only reason i know that unknown celebrity he shared a character good name with one of my favorite shows good on danny devito for not snubbing tv you know what i mean snubbing tv tv's where it's at now that's what i mean you, you you've got to sort of understand that the the dynamics change. TV is king. Movies are not. Yeah, I, I actually don't watch many movies. I actually saw uh, the new Bond last night. Come on, have you seen Star Wars where Chewie gets his head cut off yet or not? Oh, my version of Star Wars. <laughs> um, no, I've only seen episode four. Uh, it's okay. I don't. We can't. Have this, we can't have this conversation. I've had too many beers. I mean. I get it. Okay. How about this? I'll, I'll make a, a very good comparison. And I think it, I think it's accurate. I watched episode four of Star Wars. Eventually, I'll watch five and six at the very least, and, and, and the newest one. I, I don't know if I'll ever do the prequels. My brother's like, eh, they're not that great. Yeah, darn. So I'll watch four, five, six, seven eventually. But I get why people like it. Like, I get it. And to that same token... Uh, I love the band Fish, and people that don't like it or listen to it, I, I assume, feel this like I don't. I don't get this. I, I, <laughs> that, that's not that great. But if you were to go to a show and um, to one of their live concerts, you would go and you'd be like, "Yeah, I can understand why people like this. It's not for me, but I get it." And I, I, it's one of those things where you, you can't sort of argue with that, can you? It, it's like you can respect someone that goes, "Yep." I see that. That's fine. I might not like it, but I can see why other people do. And I didn't I hate the movie. A, I just—it's not. It's not your. It's not. Thing ever. It's not. It's not your gig. That's all. Although that's, I will say, for the time, what was it 1977? It's really yeah, well made. It's well made with the oh, technology yeah. that they had. Which is why it was so disappointing as a massive Star Wars fan when Lucas got those three movies again and, and redid them. Uh, it was just, you know, it was just basically bleed money off people like me. And then when he did the three newies... Uh, You'd think the Stormtroopers' accuracy would go up over the years with the technology. No, but... there are some really, really good tweets with pictures of where the Stormtrooper eyes are and where human eyes are, and no wonder they can't shoot. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. It's just brilliant. Someone put a picture up. I think I saw it today on Twitter. It's like, safest car in the world looks like a stormtrooper. It's like, not going to hit anything. Yeah, they're, they shoot like the Penguins have shot this year. Actually, now, is this team ever going to regress back to the norm? Or are they going to be that team that is snake bit for the entire year? Because I stand by my theory that has no scientific evidence to it whatsoever that 
you get you, you get on a bad run and it sticks for the whole year. Look at Anaheim. They're in the same boat. They just cannot buy a goal. Well, I'll give Pittsburgh this. They, they scored four the other night, uh, two on the power play. Gave up three power play goals to Philly, which seems to be oh, a, that was, that all was the just... time thing. <laughs> but they are playing great hockey since Mike Sullivan and the latest um, unblocked shot rate chart that uh, our guest Micah Blake McCurdy puts out there. Uh, these ones have tails on it, so it shows where the team well, was. Well, that tail is great. That shows you where they were to where they are. It's awesome. So where they started 25 games ago to where they are now, Pittsburgh is the second best team in the league at um, creating unblocked shot attempts. That's great. They've moved past Dallas, who I wanted them to mimic. Yeah, I know, yeah. The only other team... That's ahead of them right now is L.A. And L.A. is close to being the best team at all of this because their shot suppression is also great. And Pittsburgh has better shot suppression than Dallas right now. So this is really trending in an excellent direction. So not only has Pittsburgh significantly picked up their their shot volume four, which was terrible um, for Johnston given the offensive skill players they had, They've also improved defensively, which Johnston was sacrificing the offense to do just that. Because they have the puck more. Yeah, but it's easy to suppress shots when you own the puck. Well, like, that's that my was, point. That, but... that was the thing that baffled me the most about Johnston's, oh, let's close it up aspect. Oh, it's just, oh that was just baffling. So that's really good. Um, will the shot thing, to your theory, play out the whole year? Well, you know, we'll have to wait and see with that. But you've, you're going to start to get some more guys back. Bo Bennett may be playing today. He's a game-time decision. So I'm he, big on Bard. So even if he does not play today, he's close, close enough. Like, they dealt with him without a month, and they've done okay. But Bo is playing really good hockey, and, you know, you can joke about the injury stuff. However long he's in the lineup for them, he's going to help them out a lot because he's a good player. How long that is, I don't know. But Would he makes minimum be... money. You know, he's still going to be an yeah. RFA. He's not going to be commanding some super raise. I don't can't. understand the, why anybody would want to get rid of him. Yeah, the injuries are frustrating, but you're not paying a lot for him. And the the upside is he's he's at worst a top nine player. I think at worst he's a top six player. On this I team, yes. I legitimate. Oh, I think on any team. I legitimately think if any team can get him healthy, if he doesn't stay in Pittsburgh, he will be at worst a second line winger. At worst. And I think given the right environment and and given the chance to actually be be given that chance to prove himself to himself. I think he would have so much self-doubt at the moment because he just cannot stay healthy. Um, he will blossom into what, you know, Ray Shero thought he was going to be. But would, would, would you be ballsy enough if you were Mike Sullivan to, to drop Kunitz down when Bennett comes back and play Bennett where he was before? Um, not. I think that's an option. The, here's the thing with when a coach... Is trying to formulate their forward depth. 
lines. Options. You want options. So the, the fact you can do that, that's good. Would I do that right now? No, I think Kunitz is playing well right now. I would do it. I would do it now. Mm. I would just go. I would just throw well, him in there. Go, can you or can't you? And then if you can't, you go back to Kunitz. Benino needs, when he comes back, he'll need a little bit of help. He's been playing with these AHL guys. And he's an offensive third-line center. He's not a def- he, much like Sutter. He's not very good defensively, but that but he's accepted. cheaper. But he's cheaper and he's more gifted offensively. So you could go back to the Bonino pairing, and <laughs> they played well together. And you know you could also wiggle around with uh, Eric Fair playing the right wing on a third line and and stuff like that. Hagelin has been good for the left wing on that line so far. No clue long-term. I think over time, Haglund's shown he's kind of that tweener top six. Yeah, frustrating. But at the same time, I don't think he's ever quite played on a line with Malkin and Kessel (laughs) kind of talent. True. Even if he was, and I can't even speak to this as fact, I don't know if he got a chance with Perry and Getzlaff. But Perry and Getzlaff are, are much different style than Kessel and, and Malkin. Hey, the one thing I've noticed since Hagelin has been on that line, um, Malkin looks slow. Slow and um, a, speed of stride, maybe. Yeah, which is a good thing. That, that I'm not saying that in a negative no, aspect No, I know what you're all. saying. <laughs> yeah. Hagelin, yeah. Hagelin and Kessel, well, we talked about the All-Star. I believe they both won a fastest skater there. Yeah, how Hagelin was there, I don't know. But you, you, yeah, I get exactly what what you're saying. Maybe it's... I'm wrong on Hagelin, but I thought he did. But you, you're right. That the just this this league is all about speed now. 2012 NHL as... All Star Game, Carl Hagelin, fastest skater competition. How was he there in the Young Stars aspect of it? He's going up against Colin Greening, I think. So I don't yeah. know what the t- <laughs> hey back to the all star conversation. How the hell are these guys here? Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, but there's so much speed to burn there. And to give credit to Patrick Hornquist, he's been a lot better since the coaching change. Uh, his numbers and shot totals are way up. And Sid is just ridiculous again. So that's it's, that's very fun. It's 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 really funny. Hornquist is. The polarization of what he was post and prior to the coaching change is absolute for, for me is amazing. He was just so frustrating watching him play, and you highlighted a lot of the things that, that drove me nuts about him. In that he that the puck would die on his stick all the time. He still takes shots from the boards when he doesn't have to, and he still dumps the puck into the wrong corner when he dumps it in. But everything else about his game, he obviously needs to be in an up-tempo environment. He has to play... High, high event system for him, absolutely. Yeah, he, he has to. He has to be in an environment, though, where the puck is moving around everywhere so he can create that havoc. That, so so what are his know, strengths? Yeah, it, it's just... It, it's, it shows you how out of touch to what his team was, Mike Johnson's system change was. It shows you how inept he was at, at working out what the NHL needed and it, and the issue that you've got as a management team to pick an AHL coach who doesn't trust his own system because he bailed on what he believed in. 
Yeah, if you look up his Portland Winterhawk philosophy, yeah. So Patrick Hornquist needs a high event team because high events mean puck towards net. Yeah. That's his kind of bread and butter of mashing away, grinding away, being kind of a pest down there. If you're in a low event system like Pittsburgh was, as far, at least offensively, you're really not putting him in spots to where his skill set's going to help. A low event team for Patrick Hornquist is you're going to get the criticism from people like myself that see him not getting through the neutral zone with speed, making plays, a lot of dump-ins that, as we know, lead to less offense, and just not the lack of ability to, to be a productive member of the team. But that's changed. He's now... Um, productive in that high event system and it really helps that Chris Kunitz is a lot better on the left side <clears throat> of that line and Sidney Crosby is uh, back to being himself and that's of course going to make anybody look good uh, so doesn't change my original criticism I still like players that can create on their own well and, and, and you know we both agree that whole Hornquist can't and I know those are more rare to find but I think that the most players in the league go to the net, contrary to belief. I don't think players shy away a lot. So I think I don't, a little I'm bit sorry. of that's overrated. Castle Castle shies away. I I it, look, you, you can always find of... an outlier, but like people beat up David Perron a lot, but he was he was right there all the time. Yeah, Castle is there all the things. time. Kessler's a lot of things, but he's not a net crasher when there is traffic on his side of the ice. No, he will. He, you know that. That's okay. The thing is, that's okay. Not everyone is going to be like that. You, you can't expect everyone to play that way. That, that and that's that's fine. But yeah, you. you the the I, list I, of players that won't go to the net is a hell of a lot shorter league wide than the the players that will. So, correct. I agree with that. That's all I'm saying. But. It's good. They got players willing to go there, Hornquist being one of them, and the shots are getting there now. And I think that you'll start to see that shooting percentage that you were thinking may stay low the whole year. I think it will start to uh, climb up. And I think another reason for that is I think they'll start generating more offense because they called up, finally, Derek Pouliot. <laughs> He's yet to play since the call-up. But, you know, he's there. I don't think they'd call him up to the Daniel city. Sprung him. I think Sullivan said <laughs> at some point we got to play him. He's up here. It's nice to practice against the NHL guys, and I think that is good. But the AHL is an option for Pouliot. Playing real games is always better than not playing any games if you have, um, as long as it's on an NHL junior drop. Because Sprong okay. has scored in like 11 straight games or something. Or has points in 11 straight, and he's just <laughs> ripping the Yeah, but the argument, was, the argument with Sprong wasn't his ability to put the puck in the neck. It was it was everything else in his game. Well, so he's not going to get that there. Your, your entire point of the ridiculous uh, agreement the NHL has with these junior leagues stunts his development for 12 months because Actually, he can't go. Do you want to tie that into our first topic of the day? They sent Druin back yeah. to juniors instead of the AHL because they couldn't put him in the AHL that year. Yeah, Him going back to juniors was not something that he probably liked, but did it. 
And then, you know, I just, yeah. yeah. You know what? Tampa probably not in the Druin situation they're in now if he just played in the AHL for that one year. Yep, pretty much. So, but Puglia, who sits? Well, most people would say Lovejoy should, but I, I think Mr. Number 28, uh, Ian Cole, should probably sit because he's playing like a number eight. Yeah, I think it's fair to criticize Ben Lovejoy. I think that's totally valid. I think he's being propped up by Dumoulin this year, who's been a great surprise. He's playing too up far up the lineup. Like you, you get there and you can bag Lovejoy out all you'd like, but he's a number six being asked to play number four. Like They're asking too much of him. They've got other options now. Shift the lineup. I, it feels like it's the whole Hal Gill, Rob Scuderi pairing. They didn't want to break it up because apparently they were great and they weren't. So it's just do it. Take the gamble. This team has to gamble to win now. Yeah, there are some interesting things they could do with their D pairings if they um, mm-hmm. broke up that Dumoulin Lovejoy pairing. Does Mata play with? Dumoulin, no. Actually, Just Latang. No, 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 that's what I meant to say. I'm sorry. That's been the one that I kind of wanted to see. And then Mata, uh, does Mata Pouliot, Mata Daly, something like that. Pouliot Lovejoy, which I believe was a pairing last year. I think you're right. I really do think you're right. So there are things they could shift out, but I think I agree that with you for sure that Ian Cole is – is the low man on the totem pole. And quite frankly, with Pouliot, depending on how this sample in the NHL goes, having Lovejoy there already, um, you know, maybe get his 2.1 mil off the books for a pick at the deadline or something, team looking for to fill out depth in that regard. But that's why they've got to play him now. I've I've complained for the last couple of weeks on this podcast about putting Pouliot in a situation to succeed. If you bring him up, sitting for 10 games, you've got no idea whether he's actually capable or not before the trade deadline. So they need to play him now and work it out. The problem Pittsburgh have got is they don't have points to, to whittle away on defensive errors that he doesn't get the offensive time on the ice to make up for. That's the reality. It's like the the win against Philadelphia was great, but they gave up three power play goals without Nick Benino on, on the ice. So you do have to sit there and, and, and try to work out when are they going to put him in the lineup and just go, okay, our offensive stars will, will make up for the mistakes that this guy's going to make because he'll help them. And I'm on Twitter right now. I cannot, for the life of me, get a lineup for this Canucks-Penguins game that's happening in an hour and a half. I know Kunitz is playing. Bennett's a game-time decision. I've heard, seen nothing about Pouliot. Don't know what the lines are. <laughs> like, usually, you know, yeah, there's, you there's a morning yeah. skate. You get a general idea. But given that it's a unique 1230 start, uh, I'm not privy to any of that information right now you know what it's 12.30 start that means it's a 1.30 you know what if if we can make this podcast go for another hour I could probably stay up and watch it come on Canucks Penguins must see although the Sedins are the Sedins are worth it oh actually you know what's goofy about this game 
Brandon Sutter trade. Sutter hurt, Benino hurt, Clendenning traded. There's no active roster players from that trade playing today. <laughs> uh, but Pittsburgh got the cap space, so they're in front. Agreed. So I, I just <laughs> thought that was interesting. Um, note about the game. Uh, back to Pouliot, I looked up his career with or without you numbers, and he's played 116 minutes with Ben Lovejoy, and they have a Corsi 4 percentage of 56.2. That was in a bottom pairing role. So you could bump up or split that Dumoulin pairing and maybe uh, put Trevor Daly there. But they won't. Because Trevor Daly has his own defensive flaws, but he... Great skater and has that offensive flair. He already has four goals with Pittsburgh since the trade, which, by the way, is 50% of Rob Scuderi's <laughs> career total. And Rob Scuderi is now a winger for the Chicago Blackhawks. That happened the uh, other night. <laughs> it was only a one-game thing, and he only saw three minutes, but I couldn't believe my eyes when, when the Chicago beat writers were tweeting that for real. I was like, oh, my God, what the hell? Um, so... If if Dumoulin can carry Lovejoy, let him try with Daly that can push offense a little more. It allows Ben Lovejoy to play that bottom pairing role, and it allows Pouliot to play with a guy who we played with last year, and it in their small sample certainly weren't being caved in. So Cole out, that was what I would move forward with. And at the same token, I wouldn't assume that Latang Mata should be uh, inseparable either. Maybe Dumoulin. Uh, at some point in time. But as long as, um, you know, those three are in the top four, you could split them, however. It's it's one of those things where you and I have brought it up over the last couple of months. Coaches are risk-adverse. So if they feel like they've got a good thing, they're not going to change it. And that frustrates the hell out of me because... Yeah, like when they're on a winning streak, they have the same lineup, but they get this really good player back or yeah. like young, good younger player back. Like, let's say, like, Simone Dupre, for example, back when he was a Penguin. If he was hurt and the Penguins were doing well, they would keep Derek Englund in the lineup instead of putting Dupre in or something, you know, something like that. Oh, they were winning. Yeah, but you can still always be better. Yeah, I, I know. It, it, yeah. That and that's that's one of those things where I I, could, I fully understand the reluctance to separate Latang and Mata, but I could see a benefit in actually playing Latang and Daly together. I I don't think the pair should be solid. I think they should be game situational, and and Sullivan, to his credit, has done a little bit of that. Yeah, he there did the one game times. when they were trailing. You're right. Well, not even, not even trailing. Like, I remember against Philly, there were times at the end of the period where I, I could I could be wrong. I thought I saw Daly and Latang out there together. I think it might have been the end of the second period when Pittsburgh, you know, had literally taken the game by the balls and was owning the puck. So you get there with that, and it's like, good on him for actually going, okay, I want my puck movers out there. I want the puck moving quickly. And he did that. It's one of the things that drove us a little bit nuts with, with Bosmer is that everything was very structured, everything was, was was very regimented. Sullivan, to me, has not been quite as stiff. Actually, 
bringing up Bilesma. Uh, Sabres don't have a tremendous defense core. Not yet. No, not yet. Aristolainen's really awesome, but yes, they have this is. other kid, Mark Pizik, who's kind of underrated, probably not known by a ton of people, but he's also going to be one of their better D-men uh, as the years go on. And he was out with an injury for a while and then got recalled from the AHL after a legitimate conditioning stint. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the Sabres were winning, and Pizik was with the team, and Biles like, held him out a few games and you could make the argument that maybe he was doing exactly kind of what we were just talking about. Oh, they're yeah. winning. Don't change it. Well, no, your decor stinks and he's one of your better guys. You, you probably want to put him in. Look, that's balls. Mr. Hinder, what he knows. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, and I, well, there is, you but... do hope that he changes as a coach, but there are some things that you're never going to walk away from. And, and I think he likes to reward players that, win and that comes back to a, a fundamental base of who he was as a player and how his career went he likes to i'm sure he would like to reward guys with less skill who work hard and help win i, I think that's what that comes down to and that sucks but that's the reality but yeah i just thought i'd use an, an example he brought it up but i saw that one play out in buffalo this past week so Do we want to even bother talking about the Anaheim trade? Yeah, we can briefly cover that. You you made a good point about it before the podcast. I'll let you roll with it. Well, let's see if I can remember it. So it's one of those things where, like when we discussed it, you got there and said, "Well, it's just it's a bit player for a bit player, and it's you know inconsequential." And you you're you're exactly right, except that. You need those inconsequential players to step up in the playoffs because your superstars on both teams that you're playing against every series are playing balls out. And they're always playing at their max. Most times so, even out. Correct. So you need those bit players to be the, the bits that get you through to the next round. And I would bank on Yuri Seikatch to do that before Ryan Garbutt. That's probably how I look at it. Like, Pittsburgh don't win the Stanley Cup without Max Talbot playing out of his skin. And I would put my money on Max Talbot playing out of his skin before Craig Adams or Max Lapierre, if you want to try and put some Pittsburgh context to it. So I don't understand the thought process from Anaheim. I get it from the Chicago point of view. He should fit their system quite well. We'll see how it goes, but I just Anaheim are in a bizarre situation. I don't think he, I don't think Garbage the type of player that Bruce Boudreau values, and that might be that same disconnect that you get from the general manager in Pittsburgh and the the ex Pittsburgh coach. No, good points. I mean, you're talking a low level deal, not nothing groundbreaking that's going to change the franchise or anything like that. No, nope. but I do agree. Sekach is. I, I, I will lean towards the skilled player that can kind of do things rather than the unskilled, I guess. And who's more likely to who's more likely to break out surprisingly? Say Koch if you play him. Correct. In my Whereas estimation. Garbage is more, more likely to do something dim witted 
and cost you a game in the playoffs. Now, the, if you get that the funny thing this year, I'm using um, the the new Warrior head-to-head kind of hero chart thing at ownthepuck.com, and Saykach's numbers offensively are like fourth line, while Garbits are second line this year, but Saykach is top line in shot suppression. <laughs> it's like backwards. The thing that's hilarious about that is that if he slots into Chicago well, that sucks for the rest of the league. They, they have no trouble scoring on the amount of shots they get. Now, if they can work out, you know, fit a player in that can suppress shots well for them, that's just not fair. But I just thought it was funny that... Yeah, the, the perception there is completely reversed. I agree. Totally agree. But those are relative numbers to the teams that they're on, so you got to kind of take context into that, at least on the possession front. So, Why do you want context, Gunnar? Uh, context is important at all. No. That's what I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there anything, like I know, I know we sort of bled in, into the penis, but is there anything specific with Pittsburgh you want to talk about? At all, I mean, aside from the fact that every game between now and game 82 is important and they have to win, like if there's a... Just that they got a ton of divisional games coming up, which can be both great and terrible. But they're playing well, so I'll go with that's that's a good situation for them to be in. And that... tomorrow's game's already been postponed against the Capitals, which I think helps them. It, it's potentially one less back-to-back situation. It's potentially one less game that Jeff Zatkoff is going to be playing in. And depending on when the rescheduling date is, potentially you have Nick Benino back and maybe Derek Cooley out a few games under his belt, and they have a more optimal lineup to, to face the, the best team in the Eastern Conference. So I think the... Postponement was an advantage. It's a blessing. Yeah, I, you won't hear me argue any of that uh, at all. Would Would you be up for bringing Murray up and having him be the backup? If If you're If you're Pittsburgh and you're obviously playing for a playoff spot, would you not want to have Murray up now? He's proven that he can play at the NHL level at a high level, uh, at the AHL level at a high level. Would you not just bring him up and have him play every fourth game? Yeah. No matter I, where he is in the cycle? I I get the argument of, well, he's playing down there, he's playing that. Listen, he's going to be at practice every day taking NHL shooters. He'll be fine. It's not games, but you have to, when you're in this quote-unquote win-now window, you have to ice your best roster. And right now I don't think there's any um, argument against Matt Murray not being better than Jeff Zakoff, and we saw they can't afford. They can't have... afford to have another stinker yeah. from the backup goaltender. Oh. Now that's not to say Murray's every goalie is capable of playing poorly, but I think you take your chance with the better guy always, and that's just the way I see it. I think Murray's uh, got to be got to be there come closer to crunch time and definitely the backup in the playoffs. Like if Larry goes down, Murray's the guy, right? I mean, is there any question about that? I, 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 
and I'm going to make sure we have the explicit. I fucking hope so. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty clear when when Flurry was out with a concussion and they were playing Murray over Zatkoff. Right now, it's just the semantics of the argument, give him playing time versus having him sit behind Flurry, is the only thing getting in the way of him being up there now. Is is, is there cap consequences? I don't know. And that's a question. That's not a... Are there cap consequences? Well, not when Flurry's up. Or out. Well, Zatkoff is 600k... And where the hell is Murray? Do you know Murray? Like, Murray's six hundred and twenty k. So does Murray have bonuses or anything like that? He's not going to hit him at this point. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought so. It's just that's you know what I mean. That's why I'm asking for. I'll tell you what. If he if he's still able to hit bonuses, his his agent kicks ass. Oh, I agree. No, no, I I I agree. If there's a bonuses to be that low for him to just be able to, to to make them, it's like idiots. Um, tell you who's so, not going to hit them. This is Sergey Plotnikov. <laughs> actually, now that you bring up Plotnikov, what the hell? What? Who does Kevin Porter have photos of? He works hard. He. You I know, don't fill, care. Fill, fill in the the fourth line attribute bingo card. <laughs> That's Kevin Porter. It just it, it drives me nuts. Plotnikov has done everything that I would want of a third or a fourth liner, except put the puck in the net. Let's call him a fourth he's, liner just for argument's sake. Alright. So the puck is in what end of the zone what end of the ice more often with Plotnikov on the ice. Just just humor me here. He was one of the Where better possession this? players under Johnston. We however don't have a large sample of Sullivan time because he's been scratched so often. Yeah. I get it. The offense has been putrid. But the offense is, offense is putrid for um, Porter as well. And I don't think Kevin Porter is some amazing penalty killer that should trump out even strength. Well, he can't be if they had three for six against him against Philadelphia and Porter was out there for most of the penalty. That's the thing that I find hilarious about that argument. Porter's That's a all. fine 14th forward. You get in any trouble and you're like, all right, well, I guess we got to do something here. But as far as, like... Every every night in the lineup, yeah, I'm not I'm not big on that. Neither am I. I mean, he played here in Rochester. He he was a very uh, crafty. He's he's more of an offensive player at the AHL level. He he does more things um, with the puck down there. He he used to point out okay, and then you get him to the <laughs> NHL, and then they turn him into these mindless drones of fourth line classic fourth line play. I wish he would do a little more with the puck maybe it's time and space being taken away and he can't but he's a tweener one of those frustrating guys one of those in and out in and out willy willy wony willy wony i get what you mean yeah but you know i'm not gonna sergey plotnikov's not the hill i'm gonna die on but i i would have him as the fourth line um left winger that that plotnikov Colin Farrell, fourth line, was was really good. And if Benino gets back with Bennett, you know. See, I like that. That's Benino back with Bennett, not the whole thought process of Benino back with Kessel. It's like, whoa. Oh, that that, that, that was, no, that that was, to, to Sullivan's credit, he tried it. 
And, yeah, but he was and, smart enough to not try for too long. I'm still not against seeing Kessel with Sid, but you're not going to break up the the Hornquist thing right now. Really? You don't say. No, but like the Phil Kessel sample with Sid was garbage in the oh, sense that terrible. they pulled the plug on the smallest sample ever on what is a long-term roster move. I think eventually we'll see it again, and I think it would be good. But for right now, it's the the Haglin, Malkin, Kessel lines working, and Kunitz, Crosby, and Hornquist is working. So there's really no need in the present I can, moment. I can see I, I can see how the 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 Haglin Kessel Malkin line can work. I really can because those two men can just skate. They're just so fast, like it, it's it's ridiculous. Like Malkin does stuff, and he just throws the sort of puck nearish. And off they go. And Malkin's accurate, so he can really set them up ridiculously well. I can see Haglin having... I can see Haglin being the Dupuis of that line. Does that make sense? Yep. I think so far it's been... Um, it's been good. We'll see how long it, it he can hold it at the top six. Mm. Uh, obviously that is the what needs to kind of happen. At a $4 million price point on a team that has a lot of higher-end contracts, you, you have to get production from the intermediate ones. Pittsburgh need Haglin at that contract to be a low-level top six. Yep. That's, so that's so far, Cal- so good. Yeah, that that's what they one, need from One weekend. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but the, 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 the thing is, is, they need that in regards to not just puck possession, but they need it in regards to tangible output. You know, it'll be great for Haglin if he gets there and he does have a 55% Corsi 4, but if he's not producing at the top six level points per 60, then that contract is terrible because it's there for a long time. Then you're Sergei Plotnikov. Yeah, but Plotnikov's worth peanuts. No, no, but, like, same concept. Hey, possession, no, great, I... but eventually possession, uh, you know, leads to offense most times. That's the correlation, but... If you're getting possession and no offense, kind of like the Kings, you can see how that ends. Kings of last year, I should say. Yeah. You can get yeah. to a spot where, unfortunately, the planets don't align, even though you're playing well, and you're looking on the outside. They're outside I looking just, in. I just don't want to see this Pittsburgh team playing absolutely fantastic hockey in the last 15 games of the year. And miss. And miss. Well, they're no, playing well really... now. Playing well, playing uh-huh. better. That's all they can do. Look, they solved the shooting percentage problem against Philadelphia. Just shoot the puck so much more that your shooting percentage... 45 shots is a lot. That's not 45 shot attempts. That's literally 45 shots shots on on goal. Yeah, that's 45 times Mason had to actually do something. And, And you get there with that and you go, well, if we're shooting poorly, 45 shots, you're going to at least get three with what their percentage is. So, you know, Kessel tends to score in bunches. He is hoping that this is the start of those bunches as a Penguins fan. And those were pretty nice gimme goals, but it was nice for... Yeah, but he's missed them. He's missed the gimme goals. Yeah, how about that pass across, though? I know Sid's goal was ridiculous. That was 
one of my more favorite Sid goals recently. I don't, I, I do not understand why he doesn't shoot more from that spot because he shouldn't score from there. But it is perfectly obvious that he can score from there. He can he because he catch. keeps the puck in a shooting position or passing position, and he's known to defer so much that um, you can get a goalie maybe in his head already leaning towards the. Yeah. But his Good release, point. he does not have a. Um, he doesn't have a weak shot, but he he doesn't have a bomb. He doesn't have the the snapshot of an Ovechkin or a Malkin or anything like that. But his release, you'll ask goalies at the high-end level what gets them more times, and it's the release. They get less time to react than if they can read the puck on the guy's blade of a stick longer. Even if it's shot harder, they can get a read on it. But Sid snaps those shots off so quick and accurate that it really poses trouble. And it's why I continue to harp Sid down low, because that's where (laughs) it's his release points, his tipping, and that kind of stuff is going to result in goal yeah. scoring for him. But he has been rifling that snapshot from the top of the circle on the off wing. That's been great, too. But, yeah, that, that goal is pretty mint, and that pass across to Kessel was not a gimme backdoor play in the sense of, yeah, the puck got to Kessel and it became a gimme play, but he threaded that through. That could have easily been uh, picked. Oh, yeah. So. No, it's just it, – it's just – I think one of the things that frustrate me the most are, are people, usually Toronto fans or disgruntled Toronto media who just like to rain down on the Kessel train. Um, when you saw Kessel score the first goal of that Philadelphia game, the excitement and the whole, I oh, think, Christ, I scored. He cares. He doesn't just play this game for the check. He cares. He, he loves playing hockey. He likes being good at what he does, and... He's not been good at the skills that he's good at, and it has driven him nuts. The second goal, he was just excited to score. But that first goal was just the the, the relief on on Kessel just shows you that he's he cares more than than people like to think, and it's one of those things that you read so much from a media market that on a team that you don't watch often because Toronto are terrible you kind of get there and you do worry that he's going to come into the, to the team and, and just coast. He doesn't coast. He's just, he tries hard. He's just been bad at putting the puck in the net this year. And hell, he's, Corsi 4 has, has been great. He hasn't actually been scored on all that much. Quite I, frankly, I don't think his defensive plays as horrid as people made it out to be. That's sort of my argument. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not, God, he's no Patrice Bergeron, but then, who is besides Patrice Bergeron? Maybe Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg, but oh, and Anze Kopitar. But you, you get there with it, and you go, you don't get Phil Kessel to do things he's not good at. You get Phil Kessel to put him in situations to be good at the things that he is good at. And, he had, and, and you're arguing that he's not been terrific on the on the goal scoring front. And I don't necessarily disagree. Uh, he's still got 14. <laughs> That's correct. That's, on a team that's like that a was floor anemic. for him. On a team that was anemic early in the year. Like, it's one of those things where you get there and you look at the, the points per game for players and all this stuff. As far as I'm concerned, if we're gonna if we're going to rate Pittsburgh players for the year, you, you can't rate them for the full eighty two. It's gotta be from when the coaching change was and from that point forward. 
Yeah, here's the... if you get if you get there and you go, well, Kessel's goals per sixty or points per sixty were below what you wanted. Fair enough. I I've got no argument with that. But you can't take those first twenty. Tw- how many games was it? Twenty eight games. Twenty eight. Yeah, you just can't take those twenty eight games into account. It's just that what that team was asked to do was not putting those players in the best spot for them to succeed. I'm yeah, sorry. Aside just... from like a potential playoff run or them making the playoffs, the, the story, the postseason after the season's over story for anybody that writes about Pittsburgh is pretty obvious. What yeah. happened from Johnston to Sullivan and what needs to happen going forward from that? So, I mean, we're not at the 28. I've kind of been holding off on that. I wanted to at least have equal samples. Oh yeah, I can. But, yeah, I think everybody. You know, when that twenty eighth game hits, spoiler, yeah. you're you're going to get something from me that's probably going to compare a lot of team level and also individual level changes, but either positive or negative. I assume most of them will probably be positive, but there may be some anomalies in there that are negative. Well, actually, I'll be very interested to see the difference between. Um, high quality chance, high quality shots for, and high quality shots against. The difference between the two coaching styles, mainly because the whole point of what Johnson did at the start of this year was to, to reduce those, was to reduce those things, and he never did. And what happened was Pittsburgh got no high quality chances themselves. Well, here's so, the thing with that, and I've done the studies on it in goaltending studies. It's that shot volume. And shot quality kind of correlates, so you can assume that if the volume's shrinking, so are the high danger chances. But I, yes, you can I also mean. still separate it and look at it specifically. So, yeah, and so that, that for, for me, for me, that's probably the the big point of call when we do get to what is it, game fifty six, when we eventually hit that point, you got twenty eight twenty eight split. That'll be the big thing for me, but. As far as entertainment value goes, I, this is what I want to watch. I want to watch the way Pittsburgh are playing now. Win, lose, or draw, you and I watch this stuff to be entertained, and they are far more entertaining. I mean, if LA were losing these games the way they I hate the way LA play. I really do. They have got some fantastic players, and the way they play really curb the the skill level that those players have got. I It'll be interesting if to see a post King Sutter. Yes, I get what you mean. Yep, totally agree. It, it, there are teams that are really fun to watch, as opposed to like with the Sedins. It's like let's watch Vancouver for the time the Sedins are on the ice. Watch another game. Wait for the three minutes they get back on the ice. Watch them again. That's the kind of what it's like with with Vancouver. It, you know, there are other teams that are in, in the same boat. Pittsburgh was like that for most of the, like for the, the most of the Johnson yep. regime this year. But even Malcolm's said... on the ice. Malcolm's on the ice. Watch him. Anyone else? Just change the channel. That was pretty much what it was. Even with Sid, jeez. Um, yeah, that's what I mean. Like that. That's exactly what I'm saying. And <clears throat> and, and you get there with Ovechkin. He was in a similar situation to Sid for the last couple of years. It's because the coaches are asking him to do things that just don't suit his who he is. He became who he was because he was brewing a particular thing. Why put someone like Ovechkin out of his environment to be good at what he does? I, I have no idea. And that's what happened to Crosby. 
And credit to both players. Yeah, they just sucked it up and played, but, you know, they'll be and they criticized did. and all that stuff. Uh, they're coach killers, dude. They are coach killers. The coach so. tells them to do something, they do it. They do it badly or the results are bad. That's their fault. Not the coach, it's the player. So. Anything else? I don't think so. I think that'll do. I think so. All right. Um, iTunes, rate the Hockey Nerds <laughs> podcast how you feel, but um, giving ratings will help uh, give it a wider audience, hopefully. Uh, you can donate well, to I'm the podcast. I'm assuming at this point people should be giving a positive rating if they're still listening. Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> so please do so. Uh, you can donate to the podcast on the, uh, on the website on the podcast page. Uh, hockey underscore Hertz, Walshy66, Gunner Stahl, all on Twitter, HockeyHertz.com, and that'll do it for this week. See ya.